We're going to take a few weeks to consider what it means to be a disciple. I made that comment uh, about being a paid member. That's a statement that early on in my career, somebody told me that. They said, you know, really, you're a paid member. Uh, this was at another church a long time ago in a galaxy far away. They said, you know, you're a paid member. And I said, well, wait a second, how, how does that work then exactly? Well, that means we pay you to be a member of this church. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess so. And I had to process that for a little while. And I think what I've decided is, okay, maybe so. Maybe that does dictate which church I place my membership in because it would really be hard to be your minister and yet be a member at a different congregation. I'm not sure how that would work. But I think the problem is really with the word member. We tend to think of ourselves as members, not disciples. Okay, just a second. I scare you there for a second? All right. Thought I was going to go place membership somewhere else? Yeah. You're not supposed to do that when you're on the air, but you've got to have one of these. Otherwise, these slides don't move. I mean, I could ask them, but that's a little awkward. Let's get back to member. being a member. We tend to think of ourselves as members of a church. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting that down. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't give us much of a sense of purpose. Because members are all the same. You're either a member or you're not. There's some initiation and then after you become a member of a particular group, your job is to just remain a member in good standing. And some, sometimes we think that the quality of being a member is how long we've been somewhere. So if we've been a member of a church for 10 years, we're outranked by somebody who's been a member of a church for 15 years. And so on and so forth. And really, by no other quality than the fact of being a member in good standing for a good long while. But a disciple has a sense of purpose. A disciple is training. A disciple is learning something and being prepared for some sort of mission or purpose or activity. What is a disciple then? Because <clears throat> it's a word that only exists in churches, it seems like. Every once in a while, you hear it pop up somewhere. That someone is maybe a, uh, a disciple of a particular philosophy, or somebody is learning a discipline, or somebody is, is learning some new craft. A disciple is very simply, at least the noun form of it, a pupil, a student, a follower of a teacher, of a school. It's a learner, an apprentice, one who applies what is learned. Now, there's an old form of it that's kind of coming back where people say, well, uh, he's going to disciple me in this area. Now, I did not know until recently that disciple could be a verb. It's always been a noun as far as I know. And I still don't quite understand how to use it as a verb. Who is discipling who? But there is an ancient form of that where it was used as teaching or training. So, the teacher was discipling the students. 
And its origin is from the Latin word desire, meaning to learn. And then you've got your Greek word, which is nothing like it, and it means a learner. It is definitely a noun. So when we're disciples, we're learning something. But what is it that we are learning? What is it that we are growing in as disciples of Jesus Christ? Because often we think of just, well, I'm a member. I'm I'm in the right place. I've got the right standing. And I want to keep in touch with the group because I want to make sure that I go to heaven. Good stuff. But let's take it a step further. Let's talk about what it is that we're learning. We are learning the Word of God and the will of God. Not just for head knowledge, but so that we know the truth. We're learning this so that we know what is true and what is not true. It's those things in life that are not true, church, that are going to get you tripped up. It's those lies that we live with. Lies about ourselves, lies about others, lies about the world, half-truths, things that we don't know. That's what's going to trip us up. That's what got us into this mess in the first place. When God had one... You've read this story if you've read your Bible reading, right? Genesis 3. God really had one boundary. He said, yeah, just stay away from the fruit from that tree. You're saying, well, why'd God put the tree there? You're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's that simple. Everything's great. Just don't touch that one tree. Just stay away from it. Don't eat its fruit. Along comes the serpent and says, but did God really say that? The right answer was, yes, yes, He really said that. He said that if we touch the fruit of that tree, we are going to be graveyard dead. But no. They actually buy into this. Well, you know, it could be alright. Maybe that's not quite exactly what God said. We need the truth. We need the wisdom of Scripture. We're learning. We're growing in it. And what it's teaching us is, it's teaching us how to live. So that if we do have this insight on right and wrong, we know better so that we can do better. And we're, lear- we're learning the written Word. You're reading Scripture. But in that reading of Scripture, we are also reading a living Word. Hebrews 4 describes Scripture as a living Word. Sharper than a two-edged sword. That means that it's alive in that it, it's as fresh today and it's saying something to us as if God Himself were speaking it right in front of us. That message is still active and living. This is what we're learning. This is why we're disciples. So I'd like to invite you to be disciples and come with me in this quest. And let's begin by reading Psalm 19, okay? Alright, but before we read, let's pray. Pray with me. Father, we ask that You would bless our hearing of the Word today. We want to hear this Word as a living Word. We want to be disciples who are corrected and encouraged and directed by this Word. We want this to become our identity. We want to be Your people. We want to be Your children. And we want to learn from You. Father, teach us then through Your Word. And help me as I pass this Word along and as I participate in this learning process as a disciple, Lord. I want to be a disciple for other disciples and all of this for Your sake. It's in the name of our Teacher that we pray. Amen. Alright, Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies 
display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It burst forth like a radiant bridegroom after His wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete ready to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end and nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The rulings of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the honeycomb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me. Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to You, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. What a wonderful Word of God. It takes us everywhere. From the wonderful image of the sun running across the sky, and then how about that part that asks for cleansing from the hidden sins of our heart? Boy, that gets you. Three things I want to point out. The first of these is the psalm opens with a little lesson about nature. It talks about what we know. Picks our heads up and we look at the sky. Look at the sky. We're not really an outdoors people so much anymore. But when you live outdoors, you begin to notice the sky. That, that's where you get your news is from the sky in the ancient world. The psalmist knew that. You notice where stars are. You notice where the sun is. Tells you some things. <clears throat> we don't tend to be a sky people. We tend to be a people like this, looking down at our devices. Uh-huh. Yeah, hi, how are you? Good, good to meet you. Hi, What's, where's the sun at? I don't know. Let me Google it. I'm going to look at it like this right now. Uh, how, how hot is the sun? I don't know. Let me Google it. That, that's us. That's us these days. We need, a little, we need to work on that a little bit. We will. We can. So today, just go out and look at the sky, okay? Keep your device. That's wonderful. I'm glad you have your device. You're probably reading your Bible on it. But go out and look at the sky. Go out and look at the sky and take note of it. And when you do, realize that that sky has got God's signature all over it. The sky, the stars, the sun. They all proclaim the glory of a Creator God. You know, in ancient times, this is why we tend to think of heaven as up there. Because as mysterious as everything was up there, 
And, and the idea of being able to touch those things or find those things, you know, to go on run up to the horizon and find the end of a rainbow or to find the moon at the end of the sea, I mean, that never happened. They told stories about that, but it never happened. And so as far away as all of that was, <clears throat> you knew that there was some kind of mystery and glory, but there was also an order to it that it was expected. Here comes the sun, one more day. It's just tracking again. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. How many times, and I know we all worry at night, but how many times have you ever sat up all night wondering, I wonder if the sun's going to come up? We don't tend to do that. We take it for granted. And yet, that's the order of God. That is the promise of God. That's the supernatural power of God. Well, you could say it's natural, it's just gravity. Yeah, but it didn't have to be that way. God made it that way. And so, in that order, in that glory, we see in nature God's hand. <clears throat> now, if all of these heavenly objects obey God, then that tells us something. Even the sun, worshipped by pagan people in the past, and still worshipped in many ways in many cultures now, that Son obeys God. It is His creation. And if you want to go the scientific route, you want to think about all of the um, uh, fusion reactions going on in the Son, the atomic processes, and God's got that taken care of like it's a big lighter. I mean, He just, you know, Starts it up and goes, it's not a problem for him. And yet it's a mystery we can still barely contend with. That's nature. That's nature pointing in that way. And so our gaze goes from the sky, and then we look down at this written Word. And whatever form you have this written Word in, whether it's a book, whether it's on that screen that you're looking at, I hope you have quick access to it. Because a word is being said about this Scripture, this Word of God. And I'm calling it Torah. Now you might be thinking of Torah, if you've even heard that term. You might be thinking of it as the scroll. Isn't that the, isn't that the books of Moses? Well, yes. But Torah, in its, in its best sense, meant the, the instructions of the Lord. The, the, the Word and the teaching of the Lord. It's all Torah. When you're talking about Torah, you're talking about the will of God. They, the Hebrews would have used the word Torah the way we use the word or the phrase Word of God. We know that we're talking about the Bible when we're talking about the Word of God, but we also know that we're talking about more than a book. <clears throat> that when we talk about the Word of God, we mean the intent, the heart, and the instruction, the direction of God. And so the next few verses of this psalm take us through all of these different words about what God is teaching. If we're the disciples, church, then who's the teacher? God Himself is our teacher. Notice the praise here. There's five things that are praised. The, um, the fifth thing is actually a bit of a change-up. That's reverence. We'll get to that. <clears throat> Perfect instruction. Flawless instruction. And that revives our soul. That means that we don't have to wonder, you know, I don't know, is this teaching good for me? Is it really right? 
No, no. This is going to be what gives us life. This is what is going to give us good life. How many things have you tried, even in the new year, in every other new year before this, how many things have you tried to improve your life? A new diet. A new routine. A new exercise routine. Uh, a new book you're going to read. A new philosophy you're going to try out. And we're always constantly trying out things to improve our life. Here, we're being reminded in a praise, not in a workbook, but in a praise. The, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It's what you need. And it revives the soul. This is the life-changing instruction that we need. The decrees of the Lord. The things that He says, they're trustworthy. They'll make you wise. If you want to know things, know the will of God. Put that into your thinking. Dwell on it. Ponder it. His rulings are righteous. This is where the Lord is making judgment. This is where the Lord is making decisions about things. This is why we often have to go to God and say, God, we're torn. We have decisions to make. Look, Scripture helps us deal with all the things we encounter in life. Now, I wish that there was a perfect, reliable index so that we could just pick up our Bible and say, okay, what are we supposed to do in this situation when all of a sudden we're faced with the fact that, okay, the kid's not doing what we want him to do. Go to this index, and it takes you to book, chapter, and verse. Aha, there it is. There it is. There's the verse. And I get asked to do that a lot. You know, Can you find me a book, chapter, and verse that says that uh, I shouldn't be gambling? And I'm like, well, no, but I can tell you that you're, probably what you're losing over there should tell you why you shouldn't be gambling, but that's another story. It doesn't work that way. The Word of God stands. And when God is involved in the rulings, then it brings joy. Because we know that His rulings are righteous. He is on our side if we are for Him. His commands are clear. They give us insight for living. When we, when we read Scripture, it, it doesn't cloud our thinking. It doesn't make our thinking more confused. It opens up our thinking. And I'm going to skip reverence. His laws are truthful, meaning that they are fair. They are fair and they are right. There is justice in the Word of God. That little line about reverence then says that when we have that respect, when we have that that fear and that respect for God's ways, it's pure and it's lasting. It brings us good life. It makes life secure. Pure reverence for God's Word lasts for a good long while. It never goes out of style. It never expires. And here's the thing. It's never a waste of time. If you've ever read a book and thought, wow, that was disappointing. Or maybe more likely, you've watched a movie. And at the end of the movie, you have the instant thought, I want that two hours of my life back. Because it was a waste of time. It was disappointing. The Word of God is not going to disappoint you in that way. You might not just walk away right away with the takeaway. You might be thinking, hmm, I didn't see that. But eventually you're going to get some benefit from that. So we've gone from nature, looking up at the sky, looking at the words, the Torah, and then that brings us to life. 
<clears throat> because all of this is about life. Just as nature is about life. And oh, church, we're going to hear a lot about nature these days. We, we, we continually hear a lot about life. And there's a lot of messages about life that will make life out to be some sort of entity in and of itself. You can go to any presentation on science and they start you out saying, you know, you know the, the place where I first noticed this, of all things, y'all remember that little cartoon called The Land Before Time? About those little dinosaurs? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh, this is sweet. Look at these little dinosaurs. They're cute, you know. And it starts out, life has a way of thriving, you know, and all these little creatures are growing up in the, in the sea. And I thought, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait. We're leaving something out here, aren't we? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe God? Maybe, maybe that's being missed out here? Yeah. And that's always around us. Is you know, life, life has a way. C.S. Lewis has a poem about evolution where he talks about evolution as if it's a god and it's like, oh, all these creatures are climbing up the staircase and they keep thriving and they keep going up the staircase like it's all on their own. But the psalmist has brought nature and Torah, the Word of God, the will of God, together. And we realize that all of this matter and material that we live in, that we're made of, that we live around, it has life because, as the story tells us, the breath of God has been put into this matter. That's where life comes from. And so, just like nature, when we as the creatures made in His image live in the way He always intended, it brings life. It brings good life. God's instruction is valuable. It's beneficial. That's why that prayer at the end is talking about the sins in our heart, the flaws in our heart, the cleansing that we need. It's liberating this life in God's way. Because God's judgment and God's ruling, that's a higher authority than sin. I'm convinced that the thing that's going to keep a lot of Christians off the playing field and out of discipleship is not adversity. What's going to keep us from being effective disciples is, is not going to be negativity. What it's going to be is our own lack of confidence in God and we're going to be convinced by the enemy that we are disqualified. We're going to be told over and over again that we're just going to sit there and dwell on those, those sins in my heart. When Scripture, even the Old Testament, Psalm 19 says, God, cleanse me. There is a grace there. You and I have got to trust in that liberating power of God to make us into something new. Once we understand that, then we really believe that change is possible. And we can please God. That last phrase that we read there, and I love the way it's written. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to You, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. I want you to think of the people that you love. I want you to think of the people that you care about. What would you do to please them? How much joy does it give you to make them a little happier? 
How much disappointment do we get when we think that we've hurt them? God takes pleasure in our obedience. When we surrender to Him, when we give Him even those those flaws in our heart so that He may cleanse them, it is pleasing to Him. When we dwell on God's law, when we live it out, this pleases the Lord. And it should give us confidence. Not a confidence in ourselves, but a confidence in His power to work through us. As you continue in your readings, this little prayer in Psalm 19.14, that's a, that's a good prayer to pray every day. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to You, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. What we think about, what we talk about, is what we're going to be about. It's how we're going to live. May God help us to be His disciples. You know, baptism is the first step of being a disciple, of being a learner. We go from that to living out that newness of life. Do you remember that? We're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins? You bet. To be filled with the Holy Spirit? You bet. And then, to walk in newness of life. How's that newness of life going for us today? Fear not. Go to Him. Go to Him and pray with the meditation of your heart that the, that the words of your mouth may be pleasing to Him and let's live it out. Pray with me. Father, I ask that uh, You would be with all of us, that Your Spirit would convict us. If we have need to be baptized, I pray that we will reach out and make that decision today. If we have need to just get back on the track and to be pleasing to You, then Father, cleanse us from the sin that often entangles us and, con- and condemns us. And we know that You are greater than, your conde- than our condemning hearts. How do we know that? We know that because we read Your Word. We know that because Your Apostle John said that there is one who is greater than our condemning hearts. Father, may we be Your disciples and bring glory to Your name and please You with the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart. It's in the name of Jesus, our Teacher, we pray. Amen.